All right, well, children, you guys are dismissed. I believe you're going back to the old familiar room over here with Miss Tiffany. Thank you, choir, for leading us in that and for Baxter for leading us um, before in our corporate worship. You know, the songs that we have sung this morning have captured our longing hearts, for indeed we are a people who, who do long. We long for peace in a world where we see senseless hate and violence. And we long for that one who will come and bring us peace. And so today we begin a new series, a series that will be in for about three weeks. That's entitled Hope for Peace. Hope for Peace. And today we talk about where we find that hope for peace. On Christmas Day in 1863, some of you history buffs may be able to locate that date of 1863. The American poet Henry Wadsworth Longfellow wrote the poem, I Heard the Bells on Christmas Day. That poem has now become a famous carol. How famous, I don't, I don't really know, but it does have its own Wikipedia article, right? And so if you're on Wikipedia, you must be a big deal, uh, even though you could go out and you could write your own Wikipedia article about yourself. Isn't that cool? Um, but I heard the bells on Christmas Day. It's not your typical holly, jolly, glistening, tinsel carol. It actually expresses an honest struggle, angst, and, and struggle to believe the familiar Christmas wish of peace on earth, goodwill toward men. The original poem, it goes like this. I heard the bells on Christmas Day, their old familiar carols play. And wild and sweet the words repeat of peace on earth, goodwill to men. And thought, how? As the day had come, the belfries of all Christendom had rolled along the unbroken song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. Till ringing, singing on its way, the world revolved from night to day, a voice, a chime, a chant sublime of peace on earth, goodwill to men. Then from each black accursed mouth the cannon thundered, in the south, and with the sound of carols drowned of peace on earth, goodwill to men. It was as if, as an earthquake, rent the hearthstones of a continent, and made forlorn the households born of peace on earth, goodwill to men. And in despair, I bowed my head. There is no peace on earth, I said, for hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. Then pealed the bells more loud and deep. God is not dead, nor doth he sleep. The wrong shall fail, the right prevail with peace on earth, goodwill to men. Longfellow wrote that poem shortly after his son, Charles, was severely wounded fighting for the North in the American Civil War. His wife had been dead for about two years now. And Longfellow, as he lived in a country divided, in a country at war, he struggled to believe that there would ever be peace on earth, for hate was strong. His hope for peace was dim, and life seemed like more heartache and hardship than hope. And he struggled to believe that peace would ever come to earth. And you know, this struggle, it makes sense. 
It makes sense because even this week on Friday, I received a text from my wife, Lindsay, saying, have you heard about the shooting? I was writing this sermon when she texted me that. And so I got online and, and I saw the pictures of those children walking single file to safety while hell was going on inside their school. Shortly after that, I walked to the mailbox, opened it up, and there were several Christmas cards there, and I began to open them. And the first one that I opened, on the front cover, in gold-stamped foil, said, Peace on Earth. And I thought, really? Peace on Earth? How? How will there ever be peace on Earth? Where can we find our hope for peace? Now, I'm a big fan of the Christian band Casting Crowns. Maybe you're familiar with them. You've probably heard of them on WMIT, 106.9 The Light, maybe Kayla. Well, in their 2008 Christmas album, Peace on Earth, they did a version of I Heard the Bells on Christmas Day. And what I find interesting is that on iTunes, at least, that one song is the most popular, overwhelmingly most popular song on the entire album. It's more popular than Joy to the World, Silent Night, Away in the manger, or O come, O come, Emmanuel. And perhaps it is most popular because of the honest and authentic struggle that the lyrics capture. The struggle that many people have today, the struggle to believe that there is any hope for peace on earth. Do we live in a more peaceful time than Longfellow did? Yeah, I really don't know. I mean, sure, we can point to the fact that the major world powers are not at war with one another right now. You know, the wars that we hear of are, are those smaller countries over there. It's somewhat removed from us. That's rare in the annals of history. But there is certainly a prevailing culture of hate and violence in our world today. The longing for peace remains just as strong today as it was when Longfellow lived. So where do you long for peace in the world? Or better yet, where do you long for peace in your world? You know, Christmas is a season in which more people are giving, more families are gathering, more children are singing. There's more Christmas cards that talk about hope and peace but that doesn't mean that everyone is experiencing more hope and peace in their personal lives, in their relational lives. Christmas is also a time where hearts ache. And Christmas makes it near impossible to ignore the brokenness in our own families. The pain of loss is more pronounced. And hurting people often feel more alone, more forgotten. They feel without hope and without peace. You know, and sometimes the cheer of Christmas, the, the holly jolly songs that we hear about, sometimes it just doesn't resonate within our soul. Sometimes it just doesn't connect. Well, today we're talking about hope for peace, and we're trying to locate in Scripture where we can find that hope that one day there will be peace. Well, what is peace? According to Webster, peace is a couple different things. Uh, first, Webster says that peace is a state of tranquility or quiet. So some of you have put your hope for peace on the day when your 
kids finally leave the house and you can once again hear yourself think again, right? All you want is a little peace and quiet around the house. That's where you have put your hope for peace. You know, maybe you find a little bit of peace when you're driving on your way to work and you're alone in the car. You get to select what music you listen to or perhaps you choose to have no music at all. Perhaps you find peace when you're, you know, soaking in a bath at the evening, or, or perhaps you find your peace when you're out on a lake, you know, fishing from a boat. A lot of us, we put our hope in the next long weekend away from the pressures and the demands of work and our routine lives. Well, peace, according to Webster, is also a state of security. It's a state of security, and, and we desperately long for that. We live in an insecure world, and this insecurity is, is reason that many people despair. Now, in some ways, we do live in a secure world. I mean, there's no landmines that we're avoiding on our way to work. There's no airstrikes that we're worried about here. You know, if it doesn't rain enough this season in North Carolina, it's not that big of a deal because we can truck in food from other parts of the country. If we get sick, there's hospitals that have great technology and caring doctors who are committed to your well-being. And so there are some securities, securities that we are privileged to have that other countries are not. But yet, even in our own land, we hear of random shootings in malls and schools. We hear of hostile nations launching long-range missiles and becoming one step closer to being a nuclear power. We know that the potential for economic downfall is real and serious. And so these things remind us that our current security that we do enjoy, some of the current peace that we do enjoy, is not guaranteed. It's not for sure. Well, peace is the end of hostility. And we hope that one day nations will stop fighting and the enemies will become friends. Peace is harmony in personal relationships. And we hope that one day siblings will stop fighting, spouses will stop arguing, and families will stop dividing. Peace is freedom from worrisome thoughts. And we hope that one day all the what-ifs that constantly roll around in our mind, we hope that they can just put to rest. You know, peace is a blessing from God that we long for. And it's an important question for you to ask, where do you long for peace? Where do you long for peace in your life? The answer to that question will reveal where your current struggles are, where the hardships and the heartaches are that you are facing. It reveals what you fear. I want you to think about where in your life you are longing for peace. And I want us together to consider where hope for peace might be found. You see, it's one thing to long for peace. And it's another thing to have hope that peace will come. It's another thing to hope and have confidence that, yes, one day there will be peace. So where do you place your hope for peace? What are you counting on? to alleviate your fears, to alleviate your worries, your hardships, and your heartaches. 
Well, the Bible gives us a reason to hope for peace. It gives us a clear answer for where to look for that hope for peace in the book of Micah chapter 5. So if you have a copy of God's Word, if you have a printed copy, if you have a Bible app, I encourage you to go to Micah chapter 5. Micah was written before Jesus came, and so you'll find it a little past halfway in your Bibles. If you're having trouble finding it, uh, I sometimes have trouble finding those little books. And so just turn to the table of contents, and it'll give you a page number. Micah was a prophet in Israel. He was a preacher, and he lived in a time when the nation of Israel had relatively low conflict. Now, things were not peachy completely. Things were not, you know, as, as desirable as they could have been, because the nation of Israel at the time when Micah lived was divided. You had the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. But these years in which Micah lived were a lot better than some of the other years in Israel's history. They were not wandering around in a desert. They were not in exile in an enemy land. And because they had this relatively peaceful time, it afforded them some economic prosperity. You know, business was booming. But this prosperity was a false sense of security, and it was an illusion to true peace. See, the leaders in Israel had become greedy and selfish during Micah's day, and they actually abused the poor and, and took advantage of them so that they could get wealthier. And so this divide between the wealthy and the poor, the upper class and the lower class, continued to widen. The nation as a whole was not reflecting God's justice or his loyalty. And that was Israel's job. That was Israel's purpose, was to reflect the character of their God. And they weren't doing it, especially the leaders. And so God, he he lets Micah in on his plan. He lets Micah know what he's going to do with Israel. And he tells Micah, to go and preach that. And what he was going to do, what God's plan for Israel was, was that he was going to allow Babylon and Assyria, these pagan nations, to come and capture Israel, to take over their capital, and to take the people into exile. So the book of Micah, the overall tone is a warning. It's a warning of judgment, and it reminds us that there is no peace for the enemies of God. There is no peace. For those who oppose God. But now look at Micah chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. It says, Now muster your troops, O daughter of troops. Siege is laid against us. With a rod they strike the judge of Israel on the cheek. This is Micah telling the people that you are on the verge of war with Assyria. And Assyria is going to win. Assyria is going to strike your leader on the cheek with a rod. There's shame and embarrassment in that. Right? Imagine today that going around on the video, on, on the internet, was a video of our president. And whether or not you agree with his stance on a lot of his beliefs, he is our president. He is our nation's leader. And imagine that that video was of our president being struck on the cheek while held captive by enemies. It would be a nightmare. It would be a very dark time for our nation. And Micah is saying that is what's going to happen to Israel. Dark days are coming. 
when you're going to lose all that you have and you will be shamed. But then, God shared with Micah a promise. He shared with Micah a promise upon which Israel could place their hope. Look at verse 2. It says, But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. God promises that a new ruler is going to come and reign, one who is not corrupted by greed or selfishness. A ruler who would be born in the small town of Bethlehem. A ruler who God has prepared a long time in advance. Read verse 3. Therefore he shall give them up until the time when she who was in labor has given birth. Then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel. What that verse is talking about is remember how I said that Israel was divided between the north and the south. And God is promising that this new leader, this new king, when he comes to power, will reunite God's people. Verse 4, And he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they shall dwell secure. For now he shall be great to the ends of the earth. And then look at the first part of verse 5. It's our key phrase for the day. And he shall be their peace. And he shall be their peace. This coming leader, this one who would be born in Bethlehem, who we now know as Jesus, would be God's people's peace. God does not direct our hope into more prosperous times, but he directs our hope to a person. This great shepherd leader who would lead his people by still waters and green pastures. That metaphor of him being a shepherd is rich. Our hope is in God's deliverer. This one who will be born in Bethlehem. Now this throws a correction into how most of us think about peace. And where most of us look for peace. Most of us, when we think about peace, we think that peace is having no hard times. We think that peace is having no unpleasant circumstances, no uncertainty going on in our lives. That's why a lot of us, we really put our hope in our money. You know, we hope that our money will give us the security to shield ourselves from the unknown, the unexpected. We sometimes put our hope in a career whereby we can provide for our material needs. We feel at peace when we know that our income is more than what we have to spend. We feel at peace. Sometimes, um, sometimes we put our hope for peace in another person. We feel that if that person will accept me, then I'll know that I'm loved, then I will have peace. For us, it's the absence of suffering, it's the absence of worry that we believe is true peace. We understand that Christ, as the majestic leader, great in all the earth, is going to make all things new. He is going to put an end to all suffering and to all worry. He 
is going to put an end to all conflict. Flip back to the chapter before Micah chapter 5, Micah 4. And in verses 3 through 4, God promises that this coming leader, Jesus, he shall judge between many peoples and shall decide for strong nations far away. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war any more. But they shall sit every man under his vine and under his fig tree, and no one shall make them afraid. For the mouth of the Lord of hosts has spoken. Imagine that weapons turned into farming tools. Places like Annapolis and West Point that train the military no longer needed because there are no more armies, because everyone is living at peace. If you're a follower of Jesus, that is what you have to look forward to. That is the kind of world that our Savior is going to bring about when He returns again. And so we, as a people, are forward-looking. We anticipate and long for that day when Jesus returns because He is our peace. But what about today? Right? That's what we want to know about. What about today? What, what peace can I have today when there's such hostility still going on in our world? I mean, do we just have to live in fear? Well, God's Word, it also says that you can have peace even in the midst of hardship and heartache. Even as conflict goes on around you, even as conflict goes on within you, you can still have peace. In Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 through 7, some great verses that many of you probably are familiar with. Philippians 4, 6 through 7 say, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. How? How can we experience peace even in rough times. It's because true peace is not found in circumstance, but true peace is found in a person. Right? That's the point that I want you to leave here today knowing that true peace is not found in a circumstance, but true peace is found in a person, and that person is Jesus Christ. Prosperity is a false peace because it can be taken away in a moment circumstances change. That's why we can't find our peace in circumstance. But Jesus is unchanging. Jesus is eternal. And so he brings true peace. Jesus himself said in John 14, 27, he he gives this promise to his followers. He says, I leave you with peace. My peace I give to you. Consider that. Consider what Jesus says there. He says, my peace I give to you. Did Jesus have peace? Absolutely he had peace. Jesus faced hardship. Jesus experienced heartache. But he knew that even in the midst of suffering, God was in control and God was 
working all things out for his ultimate purpose. So Jesus was able to endure the cross, to suffer in our place, because he had a peace knowing God was in control. And Jesus says, that peace, that confidence that I have, I give to you. It's yours. So where do you put your hope for peace? While Christmas time may remind you of our world's longing for peace, I hope today that you hear the message of Christmas that is our hope for peace. You know, Longfellow's poem, it didn't end in despair. It ended by saying, Then pealed the bells more loud and deep. God is not dead, nor doth he sleep. The wrong shall fail, the right prevail. Peace on earth, goodwill toward men. The hope that peace can come and will come is knowing that our God is at work. It's knowing that our God is alive. And that's the Christmas message. The Christmas message is that God has not removed himself from our world, but he actually came, entered into our world. He came to us. You know, an interesting tidbit is that the name Micah actually means, it could be translated, who is like Yahweh? Who is like our covenant personal God? Who compares with him? You know, a lot of people, they have this idea that they have to be worthy to approach God. That they have to live good enough for God to accept them. There's no peace in that. I mean, how good is good enough? How good do you have to be? Do you just have to be better than Hitler, or do you have to be as good as Mother Teresa? When you conceive of a God who you have to earn favor with, there is never peace. Because you never know how good is good enough. But who is like our God? Thankfully, the God of the Bible is not like that. The God of the Bible sent his one and only son into the world that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. The God of the Bible has given us his son so that if we trust in him, we don't have to worry about how good is good enough. We trust that Jesus has already done for us what we could not do for ourselves. We trust that he is our peace. Who is like our God? The God of the Bible invites us to come to Him with our needs. Right, that's what that verse in Philippians is talking about. It's saying you can go to God in prayer, with supplication, with thanksgiving. You can go to God. He is near. He invites you in. We can do nothing to help God, and God says, that's okay. I'm going to help you. Who is like our God? Who is like our God who came to this earth, took up weakness of human flesh, faced temptations as you and I face temptations, overcame every temptation, 
submitted himself to death voluntarily on a cross for a wrong he did not commit, dying in our place, and then rising again to offer us forgiveness and peace. Who is like our God? Absolutely no one. And Christmas proves that. Christmas proves that there is no one like the God of the Bible, the God who comes near. This is how we can experience hope for peace, even in the midst of conflict, even in the middle of worry, because we know that we have a God who cares, who is active, and who is near. So do you have peace in your life? Even when circumstances are uncertain. Do you have peace in your life? Even if you may lose your job tomorrow. Do you have peace in your life? Even if the healing doesn't come. Do you have peace in your life? Even if you don't know how your marriage is going to turn out. Even if you don't know how your children are going to turn out. Even if you don't know if you're ever going to get married or ever be able to retire, or ever have enough to provide for yourself, do you still have peace? If you stop looking for peace in a circumstance, and instead you look for peace in a person, you can have the peace of God. Will you pray with me? Father, this good news that your word declares that though we fail, to live up to the standard which you require. We fail to be able to be in a right relationship with you. You come to this earth. You have come and you come near to forgive us, to offer us the forgiveness and the hope for peace that, that we can never merit ourselves. We thank you for that. And Father, I pray that this Christmas season that we would remember that you are a God that there is no one like. You are the God that comes near and that we do have hope for peace when we put it in your Son, Jesus Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. I invite you to stand as Baxter leads us in a song of response. If you don't know peace, I invite you to come and talk to me or grab the friend who brought you here today and ask them, how can I know that personal peace by knowing Jesus. It's your opportunity today to know that peace. And so I invite you to come. You can talk to me. I'll be here on the front row. Just grab me by the shoulder. The rest of you I invite to pray.